Hey everyone, welcome back to the channel. So I wanted to take some time today to go over five of my favorite stock metrics that I've learned over the years being a hedge fund analyst, both looking at companies at a glance and doing a deep dive. And these are really helpful for me when I'm quickly looking at a company at a glance and I wanna try to understand how high or low quality business is just from glancing at a handful of metrics. So I hope they're helpful for you when you're looking into a stock yourself and hopefully you can follow along with what I'm looking at when I look into stocks in real time. Before we dive into it, if you're new here and want to maximize your investing returns and knowledge by learning and staying up to date with all the research analysis and insights from a former Wall Street investment banker, hedge fund analyst and tech CFO. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel and join us. The first one I look at is pretty obvious and everyone looks at it. It's revenue growth. So a quality company's fundamental goal is to grow profitably and sustainably. So the goal is growth inherently. So we should always start our analysis by focusing on growth and looking into how quickly they're growing sales or revenue. So I've pulled up Apple's financials, which you can kind of manually get from their filings or their 10K and 10Q. And you'll see here, I'm specifically looking at revenue growth year over year, at least at a glance. So in fiscal year of 2017, they grew 6%. 16% in 2018, they had a really great year. They actually declined in revenue the following year and had pretty low growth the next year. Historical growth is very helpful in terms of context and performance, but we're also really focused on future growth. So these are coming from Wall Street analyst consensus estimates. So they're expected to grow 14.5% this year. It looks like it's supposed to be a really strong year, possibly and probably because of their iPhone refresh cycle. Um, and then 5% growth going forward. And I trust these kind of outer year projections a little less because the data in the out years are pretty iffy and a lot of analysts don't actually project more than maybe a couple years into the future. And also no one actually does know what's gonna happen in two or three years, let alone four or five. So giving you a little context and little rules of thumb, I generally consider any company growing over 10% per year into the future as what you'll hear as called a growth company. Uh, companies that are more mature in a less dynamic industry tend to grow at that two to 10% per year, depending on the individual company's momentum. So here we see Apple's averaging growth rates of about seven to 8% per year, which is really strong and healthy, but it does put them into a more mature company category. They're not growing at 10 to 20 to 30% a year, like some of these other high flyers. One more thing here about revenue growth, at least for me, even if it's a really mature, boring, stable business, like here, Procter and Gamble, I do want to see something like two to 4% growth per year because inflation is going to be at least one to two, possibly 3% per year. So that you want to see the company at least keeping up with inflation for pricing, but we would actually like to see better growth than inflation because it's a strong business that's super defensible where people really want their products. Yeah, maybe they're not selling a ton more of the products, but they can at least increase pricing per year in a, on a gradual basis to beat inflation. And here we see an average Procter & Gamble growth rate of about just under 3%. So that's probably pretty expected for such a high quality, but pretty slow growth and boring and mature and stable business. Okay, so popping back to Apple as our example here, the next metric I really focus on for business quality is gross profit margin. So gross profit is the amount of profit the company makes from directly selling their products. So if I make a t-shirt for $10 and I sell it to you for 15, my gross profit margin would be 33%. 
because I basically made $5 on 15. So again, focusing on this line for Apple specifically, they have a gross profit margin of just under 40%. So said in another way, for every $100 of Apple iPhones, iWatches, or MacBook Pros they sell, they make direct profits of about 38 bucks. So in that scenario, for every $100 of products they sell, it cost Apple about $62 to make and distribute their products. For every $100 of Apple products that Apple sells, it actually cost Apple $62 to make, manufacture, and potentially, depending on the accounting, distribute and ship its products. So here for gross profit margin, I generally look for both high and stable gross margins. The higher the gross margin is, the more profit the company makes every time it sells something, which often implies good unit economics and a higher quality business. Differentiated software and cloud products can carry over 70 or 80% gross margins, while grocery stores have a much lower quality type of business and make much slimmer margins. So many of them only carry like 20 to 30% percent gross margins. I also look at what gross margins done over time in the past. So a declining gross profit margin implies that they're kind of losing pricing power and they have to compete on price a little bit more. And an increasing gross profit margin obviously is a better trend and could imply that they're getting more pricing power or the fact that sales are scaling over certain fixed costs embedded into costs of goods sold. I also don't like seeing variable or swings in gross profit margin year over year in the past because that could imply that there's something fun going on with gross margins or that they're subject to certain trends that might whip around their pricing and profitability on any given year. An offhand example of a business that could see variability if they don't hedge their costs are the airlines because a lot of their costs are fuel costs. Here we want to see stable and increasing gross margin trends which implies product pricing defensibility. So the third one I focus on is EBITDA margin. For those of you new here and unfamiliar with EBITDA, EBITDA is a really great quick way to estimate a company's cash profit. Uh, and it's calculated by taking net income plus taxes plus interest expense plus depreciation and amortization. So for those of you that don't know how to do that, I'll quickly show you how. So popping here, we're in Apple's annual report or it's 10K. So what you'll wanna do is you'll wanna go to their financial statements and then you wanna take net income. So this number, the latest year, so full year net income, you wanna add back income taxes you want to add back other income and potentially interest expense if it were here. And you want to add back depreciation and amortization, which generally you can find on the cash flow statement right here. Also, another adjustment that people usually make is you add back share-based compensation expense as well. And EBITDA margin is when you take their EBITDA profits divided by their sales. So how much cash profit do they make on the sales they sell? EBITDA margin is a closer look into how profitable the business actually is after most expenses are taken away because gross margins can look pretty high with many different types of companies and business models. Because if a business requires, say, lots of physical location expenses or heavy corporate expenses in, in some form or another, uh, it can have a much lower EBITDA and cash profit margin than another company that might have a similar gross profit margin. So for example, this is Shake Shack, ticker S-H-A-K, and they have a really high gross profit margin of 71 or 72%, which looks like a software stock and a software business, but 
We also need to take into account that they need to build and operate these physical locations, which costs a lot of money. And so their EBITDA margin is much lower. It's somewhere in that under 14% EBITDA margin. So when you compare that against a true software company like potentially Facebook, Facebook has again, also very high gross profit margins, but they have extremely high EBITDA margins because they don't need to operate a store for every ad they sell on their platform. They just have a relatively small tech team, probably accounting and corporate costs, maybe some sales and marketing and some support types of teams. If a company is in hyper growth mode of say over 20% revenue growth, then I don't really focus on EBITDA margins a lot because a lot of times these high growth companies are reinvesting all that money into sales and marketing or making their product better to grow even faster. So I pulled up Spotify, right? They're expected to grow at somewhere in the high teens to 20 types of percent growth rates. As you see here, they reinvest a lot of their profit into growing even more. But even if the company is growing a bunch, we do like to see profitability or at least the ability to get to profitability. And in reality, each company will have its own optimal mix of reinvesting versus profitability. While I'm already here, I'll also take a look at how much the company is spending on sales and marketing expenses and compare that to revenue growth. So this is Apple again. Uh, they don't break out specifically their selling expenses. If the company can find high revenue growth, it makes a lot of sense that they'd reinvest some of their profits into sales and marketing expenses to grow even faster. But if the company has massive sales and marketing expenses or certain other corporate expenses, yet they also have unimpressive revenue growth, it can actually suggest that the company has a really high revenue churn and that these marketing expenses are just needed to keep the business stable and keep replacing customers they lose. The fourth metric I wanted to go over is called cash conversion ratio and it's expressed in a percentage. This metric shows us how much of its profits a company actually turns into cash flow. Because right, we have an estimate of cash profits, but that doesn't include a lot of things. And it's also an accounting metric. And at the end of the day, we don't actually care about what EBITDA is. We care about how much cash the business throws off per year. So I did it for you here, but the way to calculate cash conversion ratio is first, you gotta calculate its free cash flow, which is its cash flow from operations minus its capital expenditures. And then you want to divide that number by EBITDA. So that way we get this number over here. So you take cash flow from operations minus capital expenditures divided by EBITDA. So mathematically, what this is trying to show us is for every $100 of EBITDA profit the company makes, how much of that do they actually turn into straight cash? And as you see here, no surprise, Apple is a really high quality business. They convert almost all of their EBITDA profit into cash per year. So the higher the cash conversion ratio is, the more straightforward we can think about the business and the better the business is at converting its profits into actual cash. Because if a company has low or potentially negative cash conversion ratios, that means the business is more complicated than just looking at the income statement. And it can suggest a host of things. I mean, mainly some big examples it can suggest is that the business might have inadequate working capital dynamics or capital expenditure dynamics. And it can show that the business requires ongoing investments that just aren't shown on the simple income statement. The last business quality metric I wanted to cover is interest coverage ratio, which is expressed as a kind of multiple. And the point of this metric is to show us if the company has a healthy or unhealthy amount of debt, which can be very important. And the version of this metric I personally like is taking EBITDA minus capital expenditures and dividing that number by the interest expense. Here, Apple's not really a great example because they don't have any debt. And in fact, they have so much cash, they make interest on their cash. So right here, the metric is negative and you'll see they actually just make money on the cash they have. So for a more relevant example, I pulled up Kroger here, which is 
the US's largest grocery store chain and they have a fair amount of debt. So what I'm looking for is do they have enough cash to cover the interest expense and the debt payment service every single year, no problem. And again, this formula is taking EBITDA, so cash profit, minus capital expenditures they need to reinvest in the business in buying property, plant, and equipment, and getting kind of that proxy for cash flow, and then dividing that over the interest expense they have to pay to debt and lenders every single year. So as we see here, for every about $1 of interest expense they need to pay lenders, they make four-ish dollars of cash flow. If the metric was two times, it would mean that Kroger generates enough cash per year to cover its debt interest expense only two times over. So they're four times, so now they can cover uh, those expenses about four times over every single year. If this metric is one times or even negative, such as what United Airlines is expected to be this year and next year because they're expected to lose a ton of cash due to the pandemic. And again, the recovery is going to be really tough. And while they survive, they're going to have to raise more and more amounts of debt, which means their debt service will go up. A low interest coverage ratio like that, especially kind of currently or going forward, might imply that the company can't cover its debt obligations and has an unhealthy amount of debt. As we see here, United Airlines carried a healthy amount of debt and they were managing their debt appropriately before the pandemic, but they just weren't prepared for such a black swan event that totally gutted that type of business. Thus, as you probably already know, many of the airlines are in a predicament. They have heavy amounts of debt, their profit and revenue has tanked because of the pandemic, and therefore their interest coverage ratio is a concern. Hopefully that was helpful. I'm gonna do a second part to this video at some point to go over valuation metrics. And if you're a premium ROIC member at a couplecents.com, don't worry, I'm actually building out this spreadsheet for us so that we can have some daily pulls of metrics and valuations and estimates going forward for certain large stocks that we like. So just stay tuned for that, we're working on it. And if you got any value from this video, please don't forget to like the video for the algorithm. It really helps my channel and the content. And don't forget to subscribe to join us for more content. Until next time, happy investing.